In this episode, we are joined by the amazing rival Laura. She spends some time with us talking about content creation, monetization, and all that fun stuff. Trust me, it's wonderful. So stay tuned. You're going to be listening to one of the most interesting and first-time guesty episodes of the Insert Coin Theater podcast. My name's Tim. Let's start the show. Hi, guys. Welcome to another lovely episode of the Insert Coin Theater podcast. And this episode, I'm joined by the first guest ever on the ICT podcast. I'm joined by the ever wonderful Laura, a.k.a. rival Laura. And uh, Laura, do you want to uh, introduce yourself a little bit so the listeners can know who you are? Uh, Sure. been a creative streamer over in the Mixerverse for quite some time, but also I am the creator and current wrangler of the company Broadcastic, and we make sticker packs that are a monetary resource for streamers on a variety of platforms. Uh, that's the extent of what I, I do, and also a professional lurker. Everywhere professional else. lurking is not a bad thing, but it doesn't pay very well. <laughs> no, no, but it's it does eat up a lot of hours of my day and I enjoy it very much. <laughs> so you're you're joining today to talk a little bit about content creation and in more specifically like monetization and stuff, which we will get into a little bit uh, mm-hmm. in, in a little bit. But ultimately, I just kind of wanted to uh, introduce you because uh, you are a very talented artist. I love oh, your artwork. You. And um, how long have you been doing uh, making art and 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 the like. Oh God. I, I would say, I mean, I've, I've pretty much started making art when I was a, a child, as usually most artists will tell you, I was actually a fine artist forever. Uh, I was a fine art painter up until college when I found out that I could not be Bob Ross professionally and I <laughs> needed to do something that was possibly in more of the technical space. So I went into graphic design, which um, I ended up running a freelance business for quite some time. And when I was working at home, on those projects, I would start live streaming some of that content and uh, started doing being an art streamer on Beam at the time and then eventually Mixer. But yeah, that's that's really I've been doing it all my life, I guess. I've I've been professional at it for nearly actually over half a decade at this point. Wow, that's that's fantastic. That's uh, Mm -hmm. actually not a super common thing. It's very hard to do art professionally um, outside uh, as a freelance or solo because it's mm-hmm. just it's not an easy market to break into much like streaming I mean it's it's mm-hmm. definitely in that same vein there's a lot of people out there doing that so it makes it makes it a little more, more difficult to kind of emerge over the top but I'll be honest your your art quality is is very top-notch and so it makes sense why you are able to do it as uh, a full-time profession so uh, absolutely obvious why (laughs) (laughs) there are some great hobbyists out there though that definitely make me feel like an imposter so um i wish more people would be able to do it in a professional space get paid for what they do and i know that some great content monetization platforms like patreon allow a lot of very 
very talented people be able to do it as a paid hobby more than just something they do on the side. Well, and I think art is be becoming more appreciated and people mm-hmm. are more willing to pay for it than yes. have in the past. I mean, there's still that massive problem of give me free art, give me free art. And yes. that it's you're making it anyway, so it should be free. And that happens mm-hmm. a lot. There's a lot of really great like Twitter and Reddit and Tumblr accounts and things that really showcase that viewpoint in all of its horrendous glory. And oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I would say, have, yes, like, have you had a lot of experience with that? Not too much. Um, I've been pretty fortunate to uh, have a lot of great mentorship from other freelancers that have done it even longer than I have about really showing your value and being able to put your foot down and say, I'm not going to do things for free unless it's my decision to do so. Um, not doing things for exposure which, you know, you'll see everyone roll their eyes at people who try to get people to make things for the sake of exposing. Absolutely. Clients, but yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, I've never ex- had, ex- I haven't had too much of that. One of my, one of my favorite uh, Twitter accounts right now is I think it's called for exposure underscore TXT. And they, oh, goodness. they showcase all the Twitter DMS or emails or whatever that people submit to them that are, the whole or my favorite are the Craigslist ads where it's like looking for models to get their photo taken. It's sponsored by Mountain Dew. No pay. It's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And things like that. Those aren't going to go away because unfortunately there's people that still do those. And it's, it's young, young kids that really think it'd be a great opportunity and they end up being taken advantage of. So I think it's going to take a long time for that mindset to go away. And we still see it even from professional companies doing uh, what they call on spec work, which essentially is, uh, you've probably seen it where they ask for people to submit content and then they choose a winner. Essentially on spec means on speculation. So you do work on the speculation that you might get paid and you, you still see that in the space from professional companies asking this from people. And luckily, you know, this was on Twitter the last time I saw this and the fires and the pitchforks grew very rapidly and they learned from it, but yeah. it's, it's still a very prevalent mindset, which is unfortunate in 2018, but yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty, better. it's pretty fascinating to see companies do that because so many artists now have full on portfolios of, of mm-hmm. their work that even it's not, even if it's not work that's been done in a professional capacity, a lot of hobbyist work, I mean, any hobbyist work will show what your talents and skills are. And right. all it takes is just a Tumblr or something like that to show off what you've done and what you've created and just link them to it. So having on spec or for exposure work is pretty insane in this day and age, in my point of view, because of how how readily accessible the artwork of an artist can be because of digital art. And, and oh, yeah, like. I, I definitely I remember hearing about my old professors in college having to go to the businesses with a printed portfolio yes. of their work and have to f- go through, you know, a gigantic, you know, 11 by 17 flip book of the things that they had made. Yep. And I mean, that makes a lot more sense. You know, of course, this was in like 1973. So it's yes. a little bit different than, you know, in this day and age, I, I've looked at job applications and they just say, oh, we want your name, a couple of things. You don't even have to really upload a resume, just submit your portfolio web, web URL. Yeah, it's like it's more about what the work, the work speaks for itself, right? And mm-hmm. that's one of the really cool things about art and content creation in general is that mm-hmm. rather than having to have this long resume of where you've worked, you just have what you've done and it, it right. does speak for itself. It does a really good job of that. And it's yeah. a pretty, it's a pretty great thing. 
it's it's very cool that it you can be in an industry where literally the measure of success you can have is primarily from your own your own aptitude and your own hustle. Um, yeah. And we see that in the streaming world, but we also see it in the art world where literally you don't need a degree. You don't need, you know, this kind of experience level. You need to show what you're capable of and what you're going to be able to dedicate to it. And that's that really speaks volumes to the type of person that possibly someone's willing to hire. And I, I would say that as well. Yeah. To anyone I would be possibly be hiring, be able to see that level of effort. doesn't matter yes. how old they are. doesn't matter how long they've been in the industry. It's uh, the level of effort which can really yield great results. And I think something, uh, something that kind of adds to that, to, to finding an artist that kind of fits what you're, you're trying to execute. And I think this kind of leads into a bit deeper of a discussion about finding artists that fit your brand uh, coming from the content creation uh, perspective, because mm-hmm. I work with artists fairly frequently because there's always a need for channel art. There's always, always. a need. What's that? Always, always there yes. is updates, channel art. Yeah, uh, emotes, you know, you name it. There's always a, a necessity for it. And ultimately, there's this fantastic way of locating artists by just reviewing their their Twitter or their social media to see does their personality match what I'm trying to do as well as their artwork because it works mm-hmm. as kind of a showcase of you as a person plus you as an artist. And I think right. those are two very important things to take into account because there are some artists. I mean, let's let's face it. There are a lot of content creators in general this way mm-hmm. that are hard to work with. <laughs> yes. And so it gives you a real good indicator of how a person handles pressure or uh, frustration or the like by just going through their Twitter and looking at some of the art they've done and their own comments about their art and things like that. Right. And there's difference between making art and creating a business interaction because, you know, in the end with streaming and interacting with artists, you're creating a business transaction. You're representing yourself as a service. And sometimes that can be difficult if you're working with people, you know, or, Maybe you know too well, and it's really hard to have those interactions. And I remember having these conversations with other people who have come to me second or third time around where they're like, I tried to work with this artist, but they weren't getting back to me or the other way around where the the artist is like, I can't work with this client. You know, they're really difficult to work with. We just can't really meet on level ground. So seeing how they interact with other people can really give a good indication that it's not just their style. It's not just their price point, but the person I'm actually interacting with is really important as well. And like you said, it works both ways. I mean, on Reddit, there's a really great subreddit called clients from hell. And if you've, if you've never read it, it's, it's straight up just stories about the worst clients you can work with who say Mm -hmm. things like, I like the way that you presented this, but I want it to feel cooler. (laughs) Things like that. In in italics, like word art font, like cooler with nothing else. Yep. I want it to feel this way. And it's like, you can't make art feel something like it's subjective. Mm-hmm. Like you've got to give specific <laughs> recommendations. Yeah. And I, I've actually seen that site. God, it's, that's been around forever. I would say the early two thousands, I've seen that, that site. Yes. Um, it has been but around I had, for a long time. And I, I used to really like it. And then I had one professional artist say, to me that, oh, well, if you know how to conduct yourself, you'll never have those clients. Yes. You know, you should never have be in that situation because you should field your clients 
appropriately. You should never put yourself in those types of situations. But honestly, I've had a couple clients like that as well over the years. So I think it's more of a learning experience that you eventually stop seeing those emails, but they definitely happen to everyone at least once. Well, a big thing that helps avoid a lot of that drama is very clear and specific contracts because a lot of what I've seen from those that subreddit and different uh, and that's there's a site as well. But all that sort of thing is that a lot of it would be cleared up with a very clear contract that you can mm-hmm. legally bind to the person and and a deposit. Yes. <laughs> deposits help a lot. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because I, I did freelance web design for a while. So oh, cool. it's kind of along the same. I'm, I'm no good, but I, I still had a couple people who wanted like little WordPress sites or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I had put those together and, um, one one of the ones I did later because uh most of them were for friends so they would pay me up front and they'd be like just do a yeah. simple design or whatever but one of the, right. one of my first professional clients that I had I did a I did a very specific contract and um like when the contract said that I was done supporting it and they emailed me I'm like go find someone else because <laughs> they, right. they kept asking for more and more stuff and it was it, it had piled up really badly and it was it was a bit of a pain it was really an unenjoyable experience overall but the contract mm-hmm. saved me from a lot more heartache so right yeah. and that's definitely about putting in the effort up front and it can seem kind of harsh you know especially if these are people that you kind of know on a on a pretty nice basis especially you know I, I know within the Mixer community, it can seem kind of funky to be like, oh, this is someone I know. Also, here's like a three page contract with, you know, nine point font. But yep. I mean, you got to do that to protect yourself. And it's not just protecting the artist, but it's also protecting the client because yes. we've definitely had that, you know, where artists disappear off the face of the map. And, you know, this is an Internet culture. No one knows where anyone actually is or right, exactly. able to contact them directly. There's, you know blocking of you know tweets you know it's there's a possibility to disappear so um yeah it's it's being able to protect both parties is something to always keep in mind no one's the enemy here it's just unfortunate circumstances that happen agreed so mm-hmm. you had mentioned broadcasting yes so tell us a little bit about that because you said that you're the the head wrangler what what is that <laughs> what does that entail for 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 you and what is broadcasting because you mentioned well, that it's a, it, it does stickers but it, more mm-hmm. if if you can go more in depth with that, that'd be I'm interested. Sure. Of course. Um so Broadcastic was essentially the brainchild in I I guess I'm trying to remember whose uh beam at the times chat was, but essentially we were talking about different ways that creators could create other merchandise for sale for for their followers to support them. Because everyone does the T-shirts, you know, and we have third-party sites and things like that. But for myself, I have worked in the printing industry for probably, oh gosh, probably three out of the five years that I was, you know, working for other people. And so I knew how printing worked. I knew it could be done on a pretty cheap basis with some costs up front. But I was like, you know, no one's doing stickers, like smaller stuff, you know. We're always talking about t-shirts that cost, you know, 20 to $30 with shipping and all that. And I'm like, wouldn't it be cool to have small stuff that represents the community and that kind of like the wristbands that, that yes, took like over, B-band. that took over beam for a while was the B-bands. The yes. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those were just, I think those were still surging at the time when broadcast kind of showed up where essentially, yeah, we wanted to create some smaller 
monetization item for streamers. And essentially anyone I talk to about it, they're like, oh, that's super cool. I wish there was a service that did that. I was like, well, I'll just do it. (laughs) So essentially the whole concept was that we wanted to create a site that sold content creators sticker packs of their emotes for a certain cost and the streamers would be able to get a percentage of those sales. And we wanted the sales cut to be way better than uh, the one to 3% that we had seen on other sites. Yes. You know, the, I, to get, to get stickers made, you get nothing for them through a mm-mm. lot of the sites. It's, it's pretty rough coming from a content yeah. creator perspective. A lot of the, a lot of the cuts you get from any of these sites in general is pretty abysmal. Unfortunately. Pretty low. Yeah. I mean, and they, they really take that because if you think about the model, it's like, well, they're, they're doing everything. You know, I honestly just upload my artwork and there it goes. Yeah. Ours is a little bit more hands-on. Um, but yeah, essentially I wanted to control the whole process. I don't use a third party vendor behind me is a pretty decently sized printer and cutter that makes scary noises in the night sometimes. But, um, essentially, yeah, the, the big thing was I wanted to create sticker packs that partnered streamers and all sort on all sorts of platforms could use as a way to support their content and uh, be pretty cheap for their, their supporters to purchase. And we ship all over the world and somehow it hasn't taken over all of my living room just yet, but I've had some great people that have worked with me on this project and it's been already a year plus that we've been doing this. That's fantastic. So it's, it's going pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely been one of those things where running a side business, you know, while working full time can have its ups and downs, but, um, yeah, we're getting like a really cool resurgence. And, um, I mean, I won't spend this whole time talking, you know, shop dynamics, but yeah, running a small business is tough. And, uh, well, I, I just it's I think like, it's fascinating. So I it's one uh-huh. of those things that I've I've always I, you don't get much insight into um, mm-hmm. from the outside just because it's it's one of those kind of transparent processes, right? You go to a website, you buy it, and it ends up in your mailbox. So right, there's not really a no. ton of insight into that direct because a lot of them are done offshore or by big businesses, and they don't really say right. anything. So it's it's mm-hmm. awesome to hear a perspective from your angle where you're doing it out of your you know, your room, your back room. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool, actually, because in printing, essentially, once you get the machine, the, the costs are pretty low to run the operation. Um, but yeah, I, I essentially found the smallest commercial printer you could buy on the market, which is, you know, still, I think, 18 inches long. And it's it, I'll show you a, a photo sometime, but yeah, it's still a decent piece of machinery. But wow. yeah, it's 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 cool, though, because because we don't use a third party. Yes. Um, I do all the setup of all the artwork. I've had some help from other people. We, I send the proofs and then I'm the one who prints them, checks to make sure that they actually look good before they're packaged and mailed and all that, you know, printing all the shipping labels and all that's done in here. So it's more for quality control that I could be happy with yeah. uh, was a big component of that as opposed to using a third party and possibly making our things a little bit cheaper, but not being able to control the quality. Right. So we ask for possibly a, a dollar ish more than possibly what other third party providers could offer. But we can also pass that on to the amount that the streamers are able to receive from their profits. So essentially you're able to buy a streamer, a cup of coffee yes. with working with us, as opposed to 
them only getting a couple cents from a, a yeah. third party provider, we, which so is that's... which kind of rolls into a a, a, a wider discussion where mm-hmm. you have different revenue streams and yes. it's it's really important to find the it's it's important to find the ones that work best for you. And mm-hmm. there's I don't know, there's just there's a lot of options out there. And I mean, like you've got right. things that are purchases, which are like physical objects and you've got one time donation type things through like Streamlabs. So like, for example, you have like your your shops, like the Streamlabs shop or Broadcastic or something like that versus donations through something like Gawkbox or uh, which I don't know. Have have you ever seen Gawkbox before? I have seen Gawkbox. I never really worked with it myself, though, but it okay. just seemed like a thing. We, we can kind of go into that a little bit because it's a it's yeah. a really cool option. And I've worked with them before. Uh, I actually visited their office when I was in Seattle, which was really cool. Oh, how cool. Um, so that and then there's your one time donations that are like direct kind of PayPal transactions through like Streamlabs or uh, what have you. And then um, you have your subscriptions like channel subscriptions, Patreon, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, or GameWisp, which we could talk about because GameWisp is going away. But um, yeah. we can kind of roll into that a little later because um, yeah. that's kind of sad news. I used GameWisp for a while, but mm-hmm. That said, um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of options out there. And in your experience, do you have something that you feel works better or like what are are your what are your thoughts in in regards (laughs) to that? Because I I, I have a lot of thoughts. I just none of them seem to be good. So (laughs) I'll ask your thoughts on it. (laughs) Well, it really it, it honestly just depends on the content that you're creating. Right. I mean. I know for myself, I'm I'm not a partnered streamer or anything. I, I really don't do much streaming these days. I'm mostly on the back end of things uh, and mostly viewer. But for myself, I've always really liked the idea of having a physical way to represent a supporting of a, of a content creator. But maybe that's just because I'm not as minimalistic as I want to be and I like stuff. <laughs> but... Um, I, I really like the tangible items. So yeah, buying merchandise has always been my favorite way to support, especially a, a digital content creator. Yeah. But I also have, yeah, an array of subscriptions that, you know, are just on and then they just go forever. I don't, I just budget it into my, my monthly budget that, oh yeah, these, these are, you know, my stack that I have and that's just the way it is. And I'm more than happy to support And that's across a variety of things that, you know, that's Mixer, that's Patreon and, a bunch of other platforms. So I think it's a healthy mix that works better, at least from a supporter standpoint. Um, in terms of a content creator, I have had things like Game Wisp back in the day. And that's that's essentially my my experience, at least from a creator's perspective. Yeah. As a supporter, it's it's cool to have options. Because I think everyone's different, everyone's budget's different. And uh, I think it's good to know your community and be able to be flexible with that. I think I think one of the big things for from a content creation perspective is that um, subscriptions are generally speaking stable. They're something yes. that you can count on every month. Overall, you can you can expect X amount of dollars every month, and it's it's a stable source of revenue. Whereas physical purchases, generally, it's a one time or two time thing, and there's no True. telling when they'll be able to do it. And more often than not, they're higher dollar outside of things like stickers or uh, wristbands or things like that. You're looking at 
$20 shirt or a $15 print or, you know, something along those lines where it can be a little bit more expensive. So they're much less something they're they're less often something you can rely on. Whereas with a subscription where you might get, you know, 50 or 60 percent of that cut, you can count on that money. So I think from a content creator's perspective, at least from an income perspective, from a making it work full time, which I am so excited to do someday uh, is that you can rely on X amount of dollars from a sub. So subs are safety, whereas merchant stuff, while not necessarily safer, you could have a really good month of merch sales and do Mm -hmm. extremely well with those and have that blow up. If you make a cool shirt design or something that everybody wants, you could, you know, say you sell 300 shirts, you're making more than you did on, you know, 300 subs. So it can really it can really balance out in some interesting ways. So from that content creator perspective, subs are your safety net. But I would say that the purchases are your are are a revenue stream that is a very nice thing to have available. Plus it's branding, right? So somebody buys a shirt and wears it out in public, your brand is out in public. And that's something Mm. that you don't normally get in a lot of uh, other ways. Like a subscriber doesn't get like a badge on their shirt in public that says, I'm a subscriber. They get a badge in chat, which is right. Limited. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think the different revenue models do have their own pluses and minuses, especially from, the content creation perspective of things. And, right. And yeah. do you think that enrolling into that is having those multiple arms of revenue seen by an outside perspective is not selling out, but that literally you're, you're hustling your communities in so many different ways where it's like, subscribe, buy my merch, you know, support me on Patreon, try to get these tears you know it's it's all these things yeah so it's it's, yeah it is an interesting it is an interesting perspective because it's so difficult coming from my perspective where i started out watching streams or watching content creators on youtube or whatever and having pitches for merch and stuff felt a little like cash grabby but coming from Mm -hmm. content creation I think coming into it, I think I didn't realize how much that streamers rely or content creators rely on those sales of things to survive. Like you can't pay the mortgage if you're a full-time content creator, if you're not selling merch, if you're not getting subs, if you're not getting donations. So it, it becomes a way of, it becomes, how do you do that as a content creator without turning off your audience and making them feel like it's a big sales pitch? And sometimes you have to make it a sales pitch because Mm -hmm. you have to, you're selling yourself as a brand. You're selling what you're creating to these people. And it's, it's free. It's free for them to consume. If they come and watch your stream, nothing is stopping them outside of being banned from watching your stream. So it's a completely free service. The only way that I, as a creator could continue to do it is if somebody is paying me to do it. If I could do it full time, I have to make money doing it. I'm not getting some mysterious amount of money from thin air. It has to come from the viewers. And so I think that there is a weird expectation there from the viewer perspective, because I've, I've seen it and I've heard it that they feel that because it's free content, it should, they, they shouldn't be advertised at. And it's, it's interesting because, <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, because people pay for a service like Netflix, they don't get ads. 
you pay right. for a you pay for a service like a mixer subscription you, when ads go live on mixer you won't get ads so mm-hmm. it's kind of the same concept and it's actually it's interesting because people will come and watch me four times a week at you know four to five hours a stream sometimes more and so they get like 20 to you know 20 to 30 hours of content every week for free and yet the expectation is there that I continue to do that and put food on the table. It, it's right. very interesting to to see the the kind of dichotomy between a free service should be free, but how do you keep that free service free? Like it's not subsidized by Mixer. Mixer doesn't pay me a monthly fee to stream. It's what I get right. in subs. That's how it works. So yeah. It's it's how much people are willing to pay for my content that I make monetarily. So it's it's a really interesting thing because coming from the perspective of a viewer, I understand completely that it sucks to be pitched to. But as a content creator, you have to. Otherwise, you don't eat. Yeah, it it's interesting. And I, I bet there's definitely some people who think in the way of what is the age of that viewership that expects that free content without yeah. the expectation of being sold to yes and that we live in a very freemium culture where it's like yes everything is free either you are the product in the form of you know data mining your personal information yep. every social media thing that we have um or it's advertising and you just tune it out or you, it's it's weird how people expect to not have to pay for something yeah and not expect to be advertised at, but also always assume that something is free and just, well, just consume everything. One of my favorite podcasts, which is um, it's lore by Aaron Mankey. I don't know if you've ever oh, heard I love of it. that one. Yes. yes. Well, he does ad reads in um, mm-hmm. towards the end and people still complain about that. And it's what keeps it free. And it's wow. It's amazing because people are like, oh, I skip them or whatever. And it's like, but if you skip them, then you're reducing the reason that he does it. Like he can't do yes. this full time. If you're not listening to those ads, whether you act on them or not, they're there for you to listen to. He's presenting Mm -hmm. it for that specific reason. And that's I understand the dislike of like ads in the middle of YouTube videos or whatever. But like interstitched ads coming from the, the person creating the content is a way different thing because that's them saying this is what keeps us afloat. Like I, I handpicked this product because I like this Mm. product please buy it because it helps me pay the bills type thing. Right. So yeah, we didn't even get into the concept of affiliate linking sponsorships. Yeah. That's a whole nother can of worms. It is. And it's, it's definitely, it's definitely interesting because sponsorships and such are, are a bit hard to come by. And that's, that's Mm -hmm. why I find it very interesting when people are so averse to people getting sponsorships. Um, Partnerships Mm -hmm. is one thing. But sponsorships usually are monetary or a set amount of product or whatever. Um, right. But ultimately, a sponsorship is is a big deal because that's a company saying your content is good enough and has enough reach that we want to be involved in that. And monetary sponsorships are usually a really big deal because they can pay the bills <laughs> for oh, yeah. a content creator and make it so that they can live off of it regardless of how many subs they end up with. Or how many mm-hmm. donations they end up with in a month. So if you look at the really big people like Ninja, who if all of his subs went away and he still had that Samsung sponsorship, he'd be, he'd be fine. fine. He'd be absolutely yes. fine. So it's one of those deals that it's hard to it's kind of hard to fathom 
because people people will give a lot of crap to people for getting sponsored. But to me, a sponsorship is a huge deal. A partnership is is important because it's it's you know, you get a little bit of product, you get a discount code or whatever, and you get a small cut of sales and you pretty much advertise the heck out of it. That's your partnership. Right. And your partnership is where you're like, hey, you know, um, go check out for in my case, go check out Gamer Goo. It's, you know, a great product, you know, blah, blah, blah. Ten percent off code if you use this link. And then I would get a small cut of of that purchase. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a little different. And while important, not as big of a deal as a sponsorship where they're writing you a check and saying, you know, here's 10 grand for, you know, to be our sponsor for the next three months or six months or whatever, uh, you know, and and we'll send you product and we'll give you stuff to give away. We're mm-hmm. buying into you as an advertising stream. And that's right. that's a huge deal in its own yeah. regard, because but I bet there's still expectations, though. Yes. I mean, in the in those contracts, there there are expectations. It's not easy coasting because you have sold yourself as as a business that you have this amount of reach, which in return for that, you know, business manager or, you know, community outreach manager knows converts into return on investment. So there's obviously a reason they're giving you that check because they know that with that influence, they see three times the amount coming from your, your reach and your audience that you will be advertising to. Right. So, I mean, in, in the end, it, it all, it all comes down to numbers and it, it comes down to business, um, which I know isn't really the best mindset to be thinking about in terms of trying to stream for a passion and doing it what you love. But when you get to this kind of level, I mean, there's definitely a, a serious kind of business management role that has to really be taken place, or you need someone to help you do that so that you can navigate those types of talks because then, then you're really not speaking to a hobby or you're, you're speaking to a livelihood. And yes. it's really great that people are able to do that. And we, we've seen people grow from hobbyist streamers to really having this, this great channel. Yes. Of, yeah, I agree. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm really excited that sponsorships are becoming more and more prevalent because mm-hmm. if I'm being, if I can be frank, I was getting a little tired of seeing the same, like four companies, uh, being partnered or <laughs> sponsoring the same, you know, uh, sponsoring people. So yep. it's nice to see companies like Samsung dipping their toes in and mm-hmm. uh, come other, you know, other businesses outside of your normal ones dipping their toes into the live streaming space for that sort of reach. Because like, I still don't see people that are like this stream sponsored by Casper mattress or, you know, or, Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. And, and that sort of thing, because like podcasts have a ton of reach, And I think the reason that they are more often sponsored by things like Casper mattress or me undies or whatever you have uh, is because they're, they're lasting live streams are one and done. So you get the reach that was watching and then maybe a few watches of the VODs at a later date. And it's definitely an interesting take on the viability of sponsoring streams in that regard. And it's, I don't know. It's That's it's interesting. A, it is. It's interesting yeah. to look at it from that perspective because from being you know a little bit about you know more about marketing than I because I mean you actually run a company, a business. Yeah. Um and that's but what I've learned from doing this because as a con, you know as a a sole creator, uh, you know, as a brand, you have to be a marketer too. Oh yeah. And it's it's very interesting to see what companies are looking for in terms of viewership or 
a return on their investment from what they're paying you and Mm -hmm. going to them and being like, Hey, Casper mattress, why don't you sponsor me? And it's like, I can give you, you know, I'll do this for three months or whatever for X amount of money. And they would just be like, nah, because this podcast pulls 300,000 listens every time it, you know, records. It runs. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if that's just how those, those companies don't have a, clear insight into the streaming market. They might know about it in terms of podcasts or other types of digital content that does have an archivability yeah. as opposed to stream where it's like literally in the moment or possibly in VODs. And I'm, I'm wondering if it's just either they don't have the knowledge about it or there's possibly not enough middle people that are able to communicate back and forth with those companies kind and, of like, and that's quite possible. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at, if you look at uh, platforms like mixer where your VODs go away after 90 days, that's also not a great uh, prospect of for advertising because then there's zero longevity after a 90 day period, which ultimately after 90 days, let's be real. Nobody's watching your VODs. That's <laughs> it, it's just like after 90 days, the, the, the age of that VOD Maybe they'll you'll get a couple of views here and there, but it's not like YouTube where people will search it and your tags dictate how many views you get and that sort of thing. It's more about because your VODs, people are much more likely to try to catch you live if they're going to the streaming site. That's the whole idea Mm -hmm. is they want to watch you live. And if they're into live streaming, they're not going to watch a VOD. They're going to go to another live streamer and watch them. So it's definitely it's definitely an interesting prospect to kind of think about in terms of Maybe it is a bit of an unknown because it's kind of a new platform and a new medium for delivering mm. content. So, because yeah. I mean, it's not new, but like compared to podcasts, podcasts have been around for eons compared to live streams. Right. So, yeah. Anyone it's a bit more could, tried and true, uh, tried and yeah. true. So it, it makes me wonder if you kind of compare live streaming to kind of how conventional television advertising was first thought of is where you have a set amount of time where you have a certain amount of eyes viewing a screen and you have like the 30 seconds to capture them as opposed to possibly like YouTube archiving where I know myself, I've been like, I need to watch this 10 part series today because you know, there's no reason not to. Right. And you, you will go through all that content, even if it's a year plus old um, or a podcast where I find that, you know, 35th episode, but I want to start from the first one. Yes. So I'm getting those ads from that archived content. So I wonder if it's, we have different mediums that are both really popular, but they are definitely different ways that you can do any type of advertising towards that audience. And it's interesting because those same people will ingest both those types of content, but it's, you can't market to them the same way. So it's, it's, a very interesting conversation. And I bet there's people having this conversation as well. But like, what do we do with the streaming thing? <laughs> like, how, how does this work? So I'm, I'm sure. But I mean, that's probably why companies like Taco Bell have really started, you know, dipping their toes. Like even look at Hot Pockets. Hot Pockets started sponsoring. Streams. Yes. <laughs> and so it's things like that, that like companies are really starting to reach out and get involved in streaming because they're starting to see that there is a return on investment. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with a combined reach. Yes. Uh, and that's that's a big deal as well, because looking, uh, for example, my my um, mixer following is 
is around 16.3K. So you look at that, and that's at the time of this recording, so that could change. However, if you look at my uh, Twitter, which is at 1,200, and then you look at my Instagram, which is at 200, and then you look at uh, my Twitch was at 700. I mean, combine all that together, and you're looking at over 18,000 people worth of reach. That's a huge deal. Or, mm-hmm. And and it makes it makes a big difference to have a combined reach. So as you grow in one place and you're growing in another, your audiences aren't necessarily the same. No, no, not at all. And the mediums are different. So a, mm-hmm. an ad on Twitter or an ad on Instagram is way different than an ad in the middle of a podcast or a stream. So yes. it's definitely interesting to see that there are a lot of uh, companies out there that are starting to realize that content creators are more than just content creators. They're influencers Mm -hmm. and that influence extends beyond just their live streams. I mean, if you look at people like PewDiePie who, while he has how many subscribers, like hundreds of millions now, too many. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But um, (laughs) um, if you look at his, his Twitter reach, he's still got like 4 million followers or something crazy. Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of that audience is not going to be the same exact audience that's over on YouTube because they maybe it's people that just follow because uh, they want to see what the next round of drama is going to be coming from his channel. Or they're people that want to see his weird thoughts outside of YouTube or what have you. And maybe they don't or like his YouTube bots. content. Yeah, or they're just bots. So yeah. from from that perspective, a company is going to see that and go, hey, that's that's a huge combined reach, you know, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So it's yeah. it's interesting to see the 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 movement that live streaming is having. It's finally starting to mature, I think. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm excited to see where it ends up in the near future. Right. I'm I'm excited about that because I feel like especially in the streaming medium and Working in marketing for my full-time job, you're always looking, yes, at numbers, but you're also looking at engagement. Mm. Like who's actually consuming this content and interacting with it? Because that's what has the most value um, for building the brand, but also, you know, potential sales, blah, blah, blah. But what's cool about live streaming and even especially small content creators, yes, you might not have those like, you know, 4 million followers on Twitter, but if your engagement is what is really what's happening that provides so much value than having, you know, this number and no interaction at all. Then, well, then it's just face value. One of the, and, one of the interesting things that I've, I've seen is that um, somebody did some math and uh, with their, I don't remember who it was, but with their particular um, product, the smaller uh, content creators that were, you know, medium sized or smaller because they had a more dedicated community and more people that interacted directly with the streamer. They were more likely to make purchases overall than the big streamers who were, it was kind of like casting a really wide net and you would only catch very, very certain groups of people. So you'd get, you know, the, the people with a lot of income spending money because it's the streamer endorsing it or the content creator endorsing it. Whereas in a smaller community, they would be more likely to make a purchase just because they really like that person and want to support them. Exactly. Yes. And that's, that's really a cool thing to see those smaller communities grow and see that dedication. And we've also seen that, especially on Mixer where those communities grow, but they still say, stay dedicated to that content creator. And I think that's, that's really special. And 
why, you know, any type of growth hack techniques that you see spreading around are never going to work or benefit anyone in the long run because they, they never work. As, as we, we live in an age where it's all white noise and buying of, of views, buying of followers, you know, that true engagement is what is the most valuable. And I think that's, that's why companies have to keep that in mind when they're thinking about sponsorships. It's like, you don't have to sponsor Ninja. You can also sponsor the small creators that possibly have this way more dedicated community that might actually like your product too. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely because it, I can tell you right now that um, with my my sponsorship of balls, which I've I've said before, it's non monetary. It's they send mm-hmm. me product. I do a monthly advertisement for them on my social media accounts, and nice. of course, I drink balls on stream because <laughs> I believe in the product. So I, you know, hashtag ad or whatever you want me to say around that. I don't want the FTC to come you know, send their hit squads at me. But um, ultimately, um, like, I really love the product. And so it's one of those deals that like a lot of my uh, I posted that the sponsorship happened. And Mm -hmm. I had right after that five or six people like I ordered a case. So right there is like immediate return on that. And I had so many people say, I didn't know this product existed anymore. I loved this stuff growing up. Where do I get it? And it's like, you can get a free shipping code, you know, and I'd throw that at them. And so that sort of thing is really powerful in terms of marketing, especially when you have a more dedicated, smaller, tighter knit community around a personality rather than just being a personality who creates content for 10 million people. It's somebody who's making content for 10,000 people, but that 10,000 people are dedicated. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's a pretty interesting uh, prospect to see. I, I just love to see the difference between somebody who like Ninja, who is advertising Samsung. And it's like how many sales of Samsung are going to come directly from that? Like, really? Right. <laughs> so but when you look at something like balls, which is a fantastic drink, how <laughs> many sales come from that? And yeah, maybe my six sales isn't a ton, but six sales is still six more sales than they would have had, you know, coming from, you know, maybe if they cast a huge net, they wouldn't necessarily get a massive amount of sales out of it. So Mm -hmm. it's just an interesting it's something really fascinating for me to look at. I love I love that kind of aspect of things because I don't know a lot about marketing, but I'm learning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and you can see it all around you. So. Don't learn too much or else you'll just see it with your marketing eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what That's your marketing see. eyes see. <laughs> yes. ROI everywhere. What are their metrics? I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, metrics. The the that's such a that's a four letter word to me sometimes. <laughs> oh, it is to me too. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's probably a great place for us to wrap up. This was a fantastic, amazing conversation. Thank you, Laura, for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Yeah, me too. So thank you very much. Maybe we can have you on again sometime. Uh, of course. Always. Do you want to do you want to give everybody some uh, idea where they can locate you and um, where they could uh, feel free to advertise however you wish right here? So <laughs> some, sh- some shameless plugging. Yes, please, on. please. We are, we are hashtag shameless in the ICT community. So nice. Well, if, if you if anyone wants to look at Broadcastic and what we're creating for for content creators, you can find us at broadcastic.com or at broadcastic on Twitter. And I think we have an Instagram thrown in there somewhere. But yeah, you'll find us around, find some cool pictures of the things that we're making, and you'll probably see my name attached to it too. So that's all that's all the shameless plugging I can do. <laughs> without without my skin crawling. <laughs> <laughs> of 
fair enough. See, I have no shame. So if somebody tells me like, list all your stuff, I'll go for 20 minutes. Nice. <laughs> so I'm, I, I have to be shameless. I don't know why. I just, it's, it's my personality. I commend you. <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us. And um, yeah, I, I hope to have you on again. It was, you gave us a lot of really great insight and perspective and I appreciate that. Thanks again. Looking forward to it. A huge thanks to rival Laura for joining me on this episode of the Insert Coin Theater podcast. The ICT podcast is written and produced by me, Tim Hosey. Insert Coin Theater is more than a podcast. It's also live streams four days a week at Mixer.com slash Insert Coin Theater. But above that, it's also a vibrant and inclusive community on Discord at Discord.gg slash ICT. If you'd like to support my efforts monetarily and help my content creation efforts become a full-time gig, please consider pledging on the Insert Coin Theater Patreon page at patreon.com slash ICT. I'd like to give a huge thanks to Andy B., who is our Arcade Master level supporter, and our three other Patreon supporters for helping keep this podcast alive and kicking. If you're unable to support monetarily, please consider leaving a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. The positive reviews will help bring new listeners to the podcast and will help the show grow in a meaningful way. If you have any comments, suggestions, questions, or wish to connect with me, please visit me on Twitter at twitter.com slash insertcointim or on Mixer, Twitch, Facebook, or Instagram at insertcointheater. My DMs on Discord are always open, and you can reach me there by DMing insertcointheater hashtag 6969. The ICT podcast intro and outro song you're hearing now is created by the supremely talented Ben Burns, also known as Abstraction. Check out his music at abstractionmusic.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.